Pastors, they often have a bad reputation, and the bad reputation of pastors is also often deserved. And this is owing to the fact there are many bad pastors. There are bad pastors because they are many bad pastors who have bad theology. And this is really easy to see just by attending various churches. And if you go to a church, there probably will be a, a person who gets up into a pulpit. Maybe it's not a pulpit, maybe it's a music stand, but he'll get up and he'll give a speech. And perhaps in his speech, he'll even quote scriptures. And in this speech that he calls a sermon, he will preach about the felt needs of his congregation. But in that sermon, there will be no truth of the gospel that is preached. He will fail to actually give his people the actual thing that they need, which is Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so bad theology makes for a bad pastor. But so do bad motives. There may be a pastor with good theology, but his motives might not be straight. And this is harder to identify still, but this will become evident with time if you get to know him or if he just shows his character more and more, you'll see that that pastor is more driven by perhaps fame of his name. Maybe it's success. Maybe it's the weekend or whatever else it might be. There are bad pastors who are driven by bad motives. But even harder yet to see sometimes is the bad pastor who has bad character. Of course, this is hard to see because those pastors, they put on a good face they say just the right things when they're on the spotlight, but this bad character comes out when they are exposed. And it is no surprise to many when we hear of yet another pastor who succumbs to moral failure, perhaps an affair or some other kind of scandal. But it should be no surprise to us that there are a lot of bad pastors with these bad reputations. But it's not just our experience that leads to our perhaps skepticism towards bad pastors, but the scriptures themselves warn us of these pastors. The scriptures describe them as being like wolves in sheep's clothing. They look like God's people, but they are not God's people. The only thing they want is to devour God's people. Scripture tells us that they have the appearance of godliness, all the while they deny its power. They are described in 2 Corinthians as disguising themselves as apostles when in fact they have learned this from their master, Satan, who comes as an angel of light. And so too, this letter to the Colossians warns God's people of false teachers. And Paul, he will get to this later on in this book, but he doesn't just identify and call out these false teachers, but he also identifies and commends a faithful teacher. And that's what we're looking at this morning. In verses 7 and 8, Paul commends the Colossians pastor, whose name is Epaphras. And so let us look at verse 7 and hear how Paul describes this man. After having talked about the Colossians' reception of the gospel, Paul writes these words in verse 7. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so just as we see throughout the scriptures that we are to identify these false teachers and avoid them, so too here Paul has done the work for the Colossians by identifying a faithful teacher, Epaphras. 
to whom they are to cling to, to learn from, and to obey all the things that he had taught them when he was in their midst. For he delivered to them the gospel, the word of the truth. And so too, we ought to also identify and adhere to faithful teachers, for God has given us pastors and teachers for our good. Paul makes this very clear in Ephesians 4. He says that these pastors, these teachers, they're given to the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to a unity of the faith and a knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we are no longer like children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. And so it is, we ought to to find these faithful ministers so that we could be built up by them and instructed by them. And so on one hand, we should avoid false teachers, but at the other hand, we should adhere to the faithful teachers and pastors and ministers like Epaphras. A few years ago, I left my previous church because I saw that the pastor there was not driven by a love for God or a love for the people, but instead he had his own selfish ambition that he was after. And with his selfish ambition also went the the gospel. It was not clear, and so I left that church. And It wasn't enough just to identify a teacher who I shouldn't listen to but should avoid, but I also had to go further than that. I I should have found faithful ministers to, to shepherd my soul and keep watch after me, and so it is of every single person. I think it's kind of a, we're kind of in this cancel culture where we all want to find all the false teachers and call them all out, but we shouldn't just stop there. We ought to find faithful men faithful women, faithful ministers to whom we'll build up the body so that we could be, as we see here in, a, in Ephesians, not tossed to and fro, but built up in sound doctrine. And so today, our, our aim is not to just look at false teachers. Our aim is actually to look at the faithful minister, Epaphras, and consider what it is that made Epaphras, what made Paul call him faithful, And what I see are four distinct marks that make for a faithful minister. And so I want to give us the application right here at the front of the sermon so that we might all work through these four marks and consider what are we supposed to do with this? Well, first and foremost, and maybe most obvious, is to look at the current leaders here at Living Water Church. Look at myself. Look at the other elders and the deacons as well. And consider, do we bear these marks of faithfulness? You might be thinking, why did you include the deacons? It's a minister of the gospel. Well, that word minister that Paul uses here is is actually the very same word that's translated as deacon, which means servant. So I'm including the entire leadership here, elders and deacons alike. Measure us up next to Epaphras and test us to make sure we're faithful. And if we're not faithful, you ought to come find us and correct us in love the way you see Matthew 18 laying out those steps for doing so. And so that's the first point of application. Measure the current leaders here at Living Water Church. And the second point of application is for the upcoming elder and deacon candidates. If you are one of them, and if you are an elder and deacon even currently, you should measure yourself by this standard that we see laid out. Compare yourself to Epaphras and consider, am I, like Epaphras, a faithful minister of Christ? 
And church, this involves you as well, because soon enough, in the next weeks and months, we will put before you these different candidates for you to weigh, to measure whether they themselves are faithful or not. So that's the second point of application. And then the third application, which perhaps is just as important as all the rest, is to measure yourself. See, we're very good at spotting the speck in our brother's eye while we fail to see the plank in our own. But we ought to all measure ourselves because every single person who calls himself a Christian ought to also see themselves as a servant. And as such, we should recognize that every servant will stand before the judge, their master, one day, and he will either say, well done, good and faithful servant, and commend you for the work that you've done, or he will condemn you saying, depart from me, you wicked and slothful servant. And so as we look at these four marks of a faithful minister, we ought to see if we ourselves are found faithful. And so with these three applications in mind, let us look at Colossians 1, 7, and 8 yet again. Paul says this of Epaphras. He says, He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. Those two words of Christ are what I want us to focus on first. A faithful minister is a servant of Christ. And I want to show you what I mean by this by showing you three examples of what this doesn't mean by contrast. And so first of all, if he is a servant of Christ, we ought to see that he just isn't a servant of any religion or any God. Serving a God, be it the God of some other religion or even the God of our own imagination, isn't the making of a faithful minister. It is a a servant of Christ that is required to call a minister, a deacon, an elder, faithful. For the only way of salvation is Christ. And a faithful minister is going to serve the one true God, not just any religion, not just any God. He's going to serve the God that has been revealed through the word, Jesus Christ. And he's going to call all people to look to him, to to repent from their sins, and to trust in Christ alone for their salvation. And so Epaphras, he wasn't a servant of God because he, he proclaimed just a God. He was a servant of Christ. And so he proclaimed The very truth that Jesus himself taught us, that Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So like Epaphras, every faithful minister is not just a servant of a God, but a servant of the one true living God that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And as his servant, the faithful minister makes him known. The second contrast I want to put to the faithful servant is this. A faithful servant is a servant of Christ who seeks his approval, and he's not a servant of man seeking man's approval. Paul made this very clear in Galatians 1.10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And so it is that the The faithful minister is not serving men to seek their approval, but instead he serves Christ so that he may have the approval of his master. 
And with this, he, he can be unchanging by the different winds of doctrine that come with every age, for he can preach the same gospel in season and out of season, whether it's popular and accepted by the masses or whether it's rejected and hated by all. The faithful minister does not need to change because his God never changes. So therefore, the message that he declares of the gospel won't change either. And furthermore, he can declare this gospel and the truths contained in it without apology. He doesn't need to make excuses for sin, but he calls sin what it is, for he serves his God who is holy, holy, holy. And he will judge all sin, whether it's the sin of homosexuality, whether it's the sin of idolatry, whether it's the sin of of loving our life more than we love Christ. All sin will be judged by that God, and so he does not need to change his message because he seeks the approval of his master and not of men. And the third contrast that we might see here is that the faithful minister is a servant of Christ and not a servant of his own flesh. Romans 6.16 puts it this way. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? And so it is, if he serves Christ, he will not obey the passions of his flesh, that which calls him to to indulge in the things that are not good and right and pleasing to his master. And so when the flesh cries out, I want revenge for the person who has wronged me, the spirit, his master, says, forgive them just as I have forgiven you. And when the flesh longs for every kind of sensuality and immorality, the master says, be holy as I am holy. And when the flesh says, I want riches, I want comfort, I want leisure, the master calls us to pick up our cross and follow him. And so it is, the faithful minister is a servant of Christ, not a servant of any God, not a servant trying to win the approval of man, and he's not a servant of his own flesh. And so we should look for this distinguished mark among all ministers. And if they lack this mark, warn them. And if they do not listen after you warn them, have nothing to do with them, avoid them. Let's look at the second mark of a faithful minister. The second thing we see is he strives for Christ. Epaphras certainly did. This word strive, in case some of us younger kids don't know what this means, the word strive means to work hard towards something. And so kids, if you're learning a new instrument or wanting to pick up a new sport, you're going to strive, you're going to work hard so that you might learn it and exceed in it and do well in it. And so implicit all over these verses that we've been going over over the last three weeks, we see Epaphras striving to make the gospel known. Look, look at our text. He, he's called a faithful minister of Christ. This word faithful can mean responsible or reliable. He's dependable. A faithful employee is the employee who works hard and gets the job done. His manager can give him a task and he will do it. So too, we should see that the faithful minister is one who is diligent in their work. But this might be difficult for us to see how faithfulness can be seen as striving 
from this text alone. So let me compare this to Matthew 25. We've already made reference to it, but let's see it clearly. Matthew 25, 21, the master, this is the parable of the, the talents. The master gave these various servants different amount of money to handle and to manage. And some managed it well because they were diligent and hardworking. And then there was one who didn't. Listen to the, the, the commendation yet again of the, the one who worked. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, you might not see how this here would relate to that of being diligent and hardworking and striving, but it becomes clearer when you see the rebuke to the wicked servant who did nothing. Look in verse 26. But his master answered him. This is the one who buried his talents. You wicked and slothful servant. Notice the correlation between good and faithful and wicked and slothful. And so it is that we should recognize that if we are lazy and slothful and not diligent and not striving to serve the master, we will not be commended by our master with these words, well done, good and faithful servant. And so faithfulness of the minister is not just simply owing to the fact that he has good doctrine, but it's this good doctrine that, that is partnered with this striving and longing and working to see Christ made known to all people. And we certainly see Epaphras working in this way. Listen again to, to verses 3 and 4 of Colossians 1. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Now how did Paul and Timothy hear that the Colossians had faith in Jesus? Do you know? It's because of Epaphras, and we see this clearer in the text that we're looking at this morning. Speaking of Epaphras, there in verse 8, he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so do you see Epaphras is working for the Colossians, even when he's not among them, but away with Paul? He's working for their good. And not only is he laboring in his communication with the apostles on the Colossians' behalf, but Epaphras even went to the Colossians and labored among them so that they would know the gospel, as we've seen last week and the weeks prior. Verse 5 of this, you have heard before in the word of truth the gospel. And how did they hear? Verse 7 again, looking at our text this morning, just as you have learned it from Epaphras. And so implicit all over these verses is, is Epaphras' labor and his work and his diligence as he serves his master by proclaiming the gospel to the Colossians and telling the apostle about the Colossians' faith. And while it's implicit in this chapter, it's made explicit in chapter 4 when he's mentioned yet again. Listen to the labor of Epaphras. Epaphras who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. That is, he is the minister of all three cities here in this area of Colossae. He is diligent. He is working hard, and he wants to see Christ proclaimed to all people so that they might turn in repentance and put their faith in Jesus Christ and so be saved. 
But some of us might feel a little squirmy about talking about diligence and work when we should be preaching a gospel of grace. Some think it's a contradiction, work and grace. And yet Paul, he didn't have this problem. In fact, Paul saw grace as being the very source and means of being able to work hard and be diligent. Listen to it, 1 Corinthians 15. But by the grace of God, notice the grace there, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain, but on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Do you see that connection between grace and Paul's work? And so it is that Epaphras had received the grace of God that was evident in the way that he was working diligently. This is what made him a faithful minister. He had received grace and he dispensed it faithfully. And it's not just here. We see even Paul speaking in similar language in this very letter. The very end of this chapter, he says this. Him, that's Christ, we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. You see it again, God's grace that's empowering Paul to work as he works diligently to be faithful by making the gospel known. So Paul, he's often talking about his hard work. He isn't shy about it, and we shouldn't be shy about looking for hard work and diligence, to look for the faithful ministers who strive to make the gospel known. For this striving is a mark of authenticity. This striving is a mark of having received grace. This striving is a mark of the faithful minister. Paul makes this very clear when he writes again to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 11.23, we see that the Corinthians, they're, they're kind of wondering who they should trust, whether the super apostles who are big and strong and, and eloquent among them, or should they listen to Paul, weak and pathetic, prisoner, beaten and, and trodden? Which one should they listen to? Well, Paul, to prove his authority and authenticity and faithfulness as an apostle, he writes this. Are they, speaking of the other apostles, these false apostles, are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. And so it is, Paul is able to commend himself as being faithful and trustworthy because he worked for the Corinthians, for their good. And so it is, every faithful minister ought to strive for Christ. And so it is, when the master returns, may we all be found faithful, striving, and not lazy. And so we should measure ourselves yet again. How are we doing? Are we, are we faithful? When the Lord returns, will he find us busy doing the work that he has called us to do? that he has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them? I hope so, and I pray so. But what is the aim of our striving? Surely there are people who are not faithful, who work hard too. I mean, every CEO of a company gets to the position that they are in because they strive. Perhaps it's for praise, 
for fame, for fortune. And so what is the aim of the faithful ministers striving on behalf of Christ? Was it for these vain, fading things of this world? No, at least not so with Epaphras. Look again at Colossians 1, 7, and 8. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our fellow servant, some translations might say fellow slave. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So here's the third mark of a faithful minister. He is a suffering slave for Christ. Now, this is a slight nuance from the first mark that we talked about, that he is a servant of Christ. And in that first point, we talked about who it is that he serves. But here I want to talk about the position and relationship to the master by which we serve him. We are slaves, not masters. We are slaves, not celebrities. We are slaves who will suffer on behalf of Christ. There are far too many ministers, pastors, going into the pastorate because of selfish ambition. They see other pastors on a platform with a following, and they want a slice of that praise. They want people to listen to them. I could do that, they think. They see other pastors who are even famous through this platform, and so they're no different than the kid who wants to be a rock star. And yet this is not the aim of our striving. It is not the aim to receive praise of man. It is not the aim to, to be rich. It's not the aim even to find some, some stable career that might lead to a retirement. It's not even his aim because he likes to read books. He is a slave. And as such will come suffering. Before today, I'm curious, how many of us actually, and I, I really want you to raise your hands, who knew who Epaphras was before perhaps going through Colossians? I didn't. Is anyone? I didn't. A few of you? Okay. But Epaphras is mentioned three times in the Bible, this faithful servant. And he's not remembered by most. I certainly didn't know about him. But what we do learn of him in his three times being mentioned is twice here. We've already looked at it. But look again at Philemon 23 and learn who Epaphras was or where he was in his position in society. Epaphras, Paul writes, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus sends greetings to you. And so we learn that Epaphras was in jail, suffering for Christ. Hardly the picture of a, a master, hardly the, the picture of one who is succeeding in this life, hardly the picture of a person who longs to strive so he might have success, but instead he strives so that he might suffer just as his master suffered before him. And not many ministers would pursue the ministry, let alone continue in it, if they knew that it would lead to their suffering, to their sacrifice. And yet this is exactly what Epaphras did, and this is exactly what our master said we should come to expect. John 16, I have said, said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. And so it is in these words, many will fall away from Christ, including these so-called ministers. But Epaphras was not one of those who would fall away, for he was faithful. And his reward was not in this life, 
but in that which was coming in the resurrection. And so he listened to Christ, and he himself would take heart knowing that Christ who suffered before him has overcome the world. And so the faithful minister, he works hard, not for the praise of man and not for a paycheck at the end of the day, not to keep his job, not to earn more influence, but he works hard so that Christ may be glorified, even if it means he suffers. But let's just clarify something. Just because a minister does grow in influence does not mean he is unfaithful. But instead, if a minister grows in his influence, his pride will not grow with that influence, for he rightly sees himself as a slave. And he didn't become a minister so that he could share in the glory in this life, but instead he became a minister so that God would be glorified through the proclamation of the gospel. Such was the attitude of John the Baptist, who, like many others, would die for Christ. John said, he must increase, but I must decrease. So may it be the, the mantra of every minister who is faithful that we do not look for our own increase, but only the increase of Christ and his glory. There's a guy named Zizendorf. I'll be honest, I don't know very much about him, which is fitting. All I know is this one quote that I have written across my own journal so I would stay true to it. But listen to this quote from Zizendorf. He says this. These are his goals, his life goals. He says are as follows. Preach the gospel. Kill sin relentlessly. Be faithful to my wife. Love my children. Serve the church. Die. Be forgotten. And reign with Christ. And I say it's fitting that I don't know who Zivendorf is because he is mostly forgotten even in my own memory. But his ambitions are my own. And I hope they are yours as well. For the faithful ministers, servants of Christ, rightly see that they are but a slave who doesn't share in the glory of the bridegroom, but he is just the friend who says, look at him and worship him. So consider, do the ministers here at our church or do you yourself measure up as the faithful minister and servant of Christ? The way that Epaphras was a fellow slave with Paul. Colossians 1, 7, and 8, just as you have learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. And this is the fourth mark of a faithful minister. A faithful minister, he serves the saints. And so while it's true that the, the faithful minister is a servant of Christ, and he doesn't seek the, the approval of man, the way he serves Christ is by serving his body, the church. And it's no wonder why Epaphras was called beloved by Paul and the Colossians. It's not hard to love a person who serves so faithfully. A faithful minister who works hard for the good of others will be beloved by all who share in his or her ministry. And so we see that Epaphras, he, he brought the Colossians the good news of the gospel, and he brought Paul and Timothy the good news of the Colossians' faith, and so he is that he is loved. 
And it's not hard to love such a faithful servant. In fact, I, as I'm thinking about this passage over the the course of the week, I myself have felt this same kind of, of love for the faithful servants even here in our own church. I've been thinking and giving thanks to the Lord for our wonderful youth staff who serve relentlessly and it's no benefit to their own, not in this life. They don't get paid for it. But they serve week in and week out, even though they themselves, many of them don't even have kids in youth group. They serve week in and week out. Why? Because they are faithful servants who want to serve the saints. And so I thank God for them. And not only them, but I think about, I mean, enough of you come to the preacher and say, well, that was a great sermon, pastor, and maybe it wasn't the best or whatever it was. But, but look at all the other people that it takes to actually make this happen. I think about the people in the sound booth. I think about the people who run behind the scenes scheduling to make sure all the slots are filled. I think about the ushers that are making sure that our building is safe. And so on and so forth. We have faithful ministers serving in the strength that God has supplied so that we could all enjoy the word of God. And so we ought to give thanks to God for the faithful ministers who do these things. For they serve for our good. Every minister ought to ensure that his ministry is not done for his own benefit, but the benefit of the saints. For if we do not serve the saints, but instead we serve ourselves, we will hear these devastating words that we see in Ezekiel 34. He says this, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, Even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not your shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered all over the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Oh, these words terrify me as a shepherd and pastor, for I do not want to hear such condemning words from my master. So may it be that the shepherds here are far from being like the shepherds of Israel. But instead, may it be said that we, like Paul, would gladly spend and be sent for the sake of your souls. When the faithful minister serves the saints, make no mistake about it, he serves Christ. For Jesus himself said, For when I was hungry and you gave me food, I was thirsty and you gave me drink, I was a stranger and you welcomed me, I was naked and you clothed me, I was sick and you visited me, and I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? 
And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it unto me. And so it is that every faithful minister serves not for his own benefit, but for the benefit of the saints. And know this, that there is no such thing as a perfectly faithful minister. I'm certainly not perfect in this, and and none of us in here, if we try to measure ourselves up to this a, a perfect level, none of us will ever measure up. But we do have one who is perfect on our behalf. His name is Christ Jesus. For he came not to be served, but to serve. And he humbled himself by taking the position of a servant, yes, that of a slave. And he took the job that no one wanted to take. He, he washed his disciples' feet. But more than that, he died on the cross. And he cleansed us of our sins. And so who is the perfect and faithful servant? It is not Epaphras, but it is Christ. And so it is that every faithful servant, like Epaphras, will imitate him in all that he does. Being a striving slave of Christ who served the saints for their benefit. May the same be said about each of us, but only through his grace. Let's pray. Father, what a terrifying thing it is to think about that we will stand before you one day and we will be judged for everything we do. And not only that, but we will be judged for everything that we have failed to do because we disobeyed you. And so, Lord, even now, we confess that we have sinned in many ways. If we're left up to our own works and our own righteousness, we would be condemned as the wicked servant. But, Lord, you give us grace and you give us mercy. And so, Lord, we do thank you and praise you that there is a good and faithful servant who has worked on our behalf. And so, Lord, may the, the grace that you give us strengthen us to labor, to work, to be faithful, to rightly endure suffering as a slave, and to serve the saints as we serve you. And so, Lord, strengthen us for this task, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.